Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. And folks, this is our very first episode, and we are so excited to be doing this. This week on Interdependent Study, we want to introduce ourselves and give you a sense of who we are and why the work of social justice and collective liberation is important to us. But first, for those new to our podcast, which is all of you, since this is episode number one, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Exactly. I think at the core for us is our belief that the learning and unlearning work of social justice is critical to our shared and collective humanity. And so we wanted to see what that would look like if we structured the conversation in this way, and if we engaged others and brought them into the conversation. And so here we are, and here's our podcast. So like we said, we wanted to use our first episode to introduce ourselves to you because we want you to get to know who we are. We think that's the best place and way to start our podcast. Yeah, we think it's important to share aspects of our lives and identities since much of the work of social justice is personal. In fact, it can be deeply personal, right? And so I think one other thing that's key to share here is that this podcast is truly based in and built out of our friendship, Mm -hmm. uh, our many conversations over the years, and the work we've done individually and together. Uh, And so a key part of that work has involved sharing our stories with one another, our identities, our values, and what's most important to us. And so we wanted to do that right out of the gate here on our podcast. And understanding who I am and how my identities uh, have influenced my worldview has been a a crucial part of how I have committed to justice and liberation work, um, both inside of and outside of my formal jobs and my career thus far. Um, So we want to ground this podcast in understanding ourselves so that we can better understand how we are reacting to the world around us. So a few things you should know about us generally before each of us tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, Aaron and I are best friends and we share a few things in commons and and a few passions, right? Uh, One of those things is that we both work in education. Uh, Aaron likes to point out that we have over 20 years of combined experience working in higher education, which really just makes me feel old, but I guess it is true. It is indeed true. Yeah. Um, We also both really love craft beer, especially IPAs. Uh, And we have some great recommendations for you if you need them. That's right. Uh, We enjoy watching sports. We're both big D.C. United fans and Manchester United supporters. Um, Damien's also a Baltimore Ravens fan. And um, I suffer through being a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Um, They'll be good again one day. I think maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, We also enjoy playing games, especially with our friends and family. Uh, We've been playing a lot of Azul lately, uh, which is a really great game. Um, And we are also both really into running uh, and yoga and and developing a practice around yoga and mindfulness. Um, And then last but not least, social justice is certainly a shared passion for us, which led us to create this podcast. So while that's a bit about us and some of the things that Aaron and I share in common, we also want to take some time to individually introduce ourselves and share a bit about ourselves with you. Uh, And the best way we thought to do this was to use a social identity wheel. And we're sure some of you may be familiar with this, but the social identity wheel is a really great way to both identify and reflect on the ways in which your social identities play a role in your life. So we've both filled out a wheel and we're going to share them with you now. 
All right, so the social identity wheel that we have here is one that's very familiar to the both of us. Uh, we have used it in our professional careers a lot. Uh, we've both used it in classroom settings with students. And so um, we're excited to, to share a little bit about ourselves with you in this way. Um, the wheel that we have has about 11 different dimensions of identity around it. It's ethnicity, social economic status, gender, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, first language, ability, age, religion or spiritual affiliation, and race. Um, and so we both took some time to fill out each of those uh, aspects of our identity. Um, and then we also spent some time reflecting on some questions that are inside of the circle. Um, and I, I know we're both excited to sort of have a conversation about uh, what was um, most important to us and what came to light as we reflected on our identities. And so- Definitely. Um, one of the way, how we're going to kick this off is the first question is what part of your identity is most important to you or, you know, what do you think about most often? Uh, and I guess I'm going to get us started. You know, for me, as I was thinking about this, Aaron, I, I, I couldn't pick just one. Mm -hmm. Uh, so naturally I picked four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, I did, but three of them are really sort of closely related, right? Like, yeah. um, I think about, uh, the the first aspect of my identity that I think about sort of most often is is race and ethnicity and gender, um, right? I have always been most conscious of my race and identity and my gender literally my entire life, right? Like part of that is uh, simply being and living and existing as a black man in America uh, and all that that means, right? The messages that I've received, uh, the messages I've been told uh, my whole life, like the perceptions out there about black men, uh, the experiences I've had with with racism, with microaggressions, right? Like it's impossible for me not to be conscious of my race and my gender and uh, for those not to be the aspects of my identity that I think about most, right? And so um, I, I know we'll dive into more of our personal stories later on and, and in future episodes, but, you know, my lived experiences have also made it so that race and ethnicity and gender, right, just clearly are what I think about most often, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I think I think about certain aspects of my life, right? Like, so uh, I think about the fact that both of the sort of neighborhoods I grew up in were predominantly white, mm -hmm. um, and I went to predominantly white schools pretty much growing up, right? And so both at home, right, in my neighborhoods and at school, um, me being a black man was very visible, <laughs> uh, visibly clear to me, I should say, right? Yeah. Um, and I think about my career as well, right? I think about um, how I found myself in professional settings uh, in situations where I may be the only black man in the room, um, especially as I've moved up in my career. Um, and so that's also made it visibly clear to me, uh, right? And sort of makes that uh, something that I think about most often. Um, and I sort of alluded to this, but I think about all the times that I experienced or, and have experienced uh, sort of <laughs> subtle and blatant racism, uh, right? So in school, in social situations, at work, um, out and about in the world, just doing normal things. Uh, you know, um, I know I've shared this story with you before, uh, but the the very first time I got called the N-word, I was 10 years old, right? I was mm -hmm. in elementary school. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think this world has made it clear, sort of as particularly our country, right? The way this country has treated black men for eternity. Um, 
But even if we narrow down sort of what has happened in 2020, right, and what's, I should say, what's come to light in 2020 yeah. around sort of unjust killings of black men, right, like my identity as a black man certainly is what I think about most often. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, I had a similar answer here um, for some different reasons, um, but I also said race and gender, particularly as a white man. Um, I think that this is where my work in social justice has been focused um, as I think about what I need to um, see and the things that I've been sort of trained not to see around my own behavior um, and how that's influenced by sort of whiteness and maleness and the um, conferred kind of dominance and almost like um, subconscious superiority complex that I think um, is easy to pick up as a, a white man in this uh, culture. Um, and so th- that has felt like the space as a white man to focus in on uh, the most um, in the in my sort of work uh, in this as I reflect on who I am. Um, and um, I think I really try to foreground those two things because of the ways that they combine and create this kind of um, privilege uh, mm-hmm. that is um, hard to understand separately, right? Like I think that we um, we have a lot of conversations in um, in the U.S. in education in a lot of spaces around uh, sort of male. Maleness, male privilege. Yep. Um, and then we also talk about uh, whiteness and white privilege. Um, but I think there's a particular thing when those two uh, identities come together and that intersection of privilege is um, wild. And I think it leads people who don't check it to do, um, you know, astonishing things um in all of the negative connotations that astonishing can hold yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> not that, that that might not be my best word choice there um but um yeah it can it can be uh, really profound the amount of ignorance that i think white men can carry um if you don't start to unpack what that means um and if you just go around thinking like well this is who i am um without recognizing Sort of your your individual components are influenced by a, a bigger, um, bigger cultural influence, um, and that that connection is really um, uh, powerful. It has to be unpacked uh, and understood, um, and I don't know that you can ever fully understand it, but it's sort right. of constant kind of work. Um, so yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how those two things have influenced my life and my worldview and sort of the behaviors that I, I do and, and don't do um, and yeah, all kinds of things. So yeah, most often for me was uh, also race and gender, um, but particularly being a white cisgender male. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting and I'm not surprised. And one of the things I think we should share is that we didn't compare notes here, right? So mm-hmm. this is the mm-hmm. first time that we're both hearing what each other sort of have uh, thought about and reflected on this identity wheel. And so, yeah. uh, but knowing you, I'm not surprised. Uh, and probably you're not surprised at my answer either. Um, you know, I, you talked about uh, reflecting on sort of being a white man, you know, and I talked about sort of particularly what's come to light in 2020, right? Um, and so I'm curious, like, what's some of the work and thinking that you've done this year? 
um, in particular, um, given all that's happened? Yeah, um, I think this year has been um, hard in a lot of ways. I think, um, you know, uh, before the very public um, killings of both by police and by white racist vigilantes um, of, of black people um, like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and many, many others. Um, uh, this was a year that sort of like the, you know, the pandemic also kicked off in an alarming way um, that disproportionately impacted uh, black and brown communities yep. um, with sort of who was and wasn't deemed essential um, for their work and needed to show up physically um, that disproportionately impacted um, black and brown folks. Um, and yeah, so like that's been sort of, that's been part of it. Um, that's also connected to, for me, class um, yeah. as well, like where I sit in, in class uh, in terms of that identity um, and having the, you know, in my profession for the most part I can do remotely, um, working in higher education, um, you know, I've had to make changes and whatever, but that's also right. been something that I've thought about. Um, but then also moving into sort of the, the uprisings this past summer, um, yeah. is like, how do I get, how do I get connected? But then how am I also activating, um, and connecting other white men specifically, um, but other white people in general into the work. And so, um, that's been sort of, um, present for me. And I'll, um, you know, I think I'll talk more about that, uh, in terms of specifics, maybe later on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been sort of both like me thinking about, um, as abolition has come up as a big topic of conversation mm -hmm. and a big, um, discussion, um, thinking about, you know, because abolition isn't just about the policies that we have in place and the and the um, systems or institutions that exist, but it's also about um, the ways that those systems have ingrained themselves in our behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's also been about unpacking sort of like, you know, how am I uh, in my own way operating as a, you know, police officer um, and policing the behavior mm -hmm. of like, you know, my family or, um, colleagues or other things like that. And so that's also been part of it for me is like sort of more opening up of like what abolition means and sort of the personal impact or the personal, um, aspect of, uh, what abolition can be, um, as well. So yeah, that's been part of my work for this year too. But, um, in terms of, you know, 2020 for you, as you think about being a, a black man, I think there are maybe some obvious things, uh, in terms of that you even mentioned, right? Like the, uh, egregious murders of, of black folks this year. Um, but in terms of like seeing sort of uprising and, and organizing, um, like what has that, what has witnessing that brought up for you as you think about what this year has been? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it like this year has been hard. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm, I try, or at least I set out intending to try not to watch some of those videos, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and I was, 
fairly unsuccessful. I found myself watching a lot of those videos and probably shouldn't have. Um, but in some ways I felt like I had to, uh, because I am still here. Uh, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, so there's, there's that. Um, uh, but I I've been really inspired by sort of the movement and the activism and, and the uprising that's been happening. Right. And, um, I've been able to sort of get out there. You and I went out into mm-hmm. DC down to Freedom Plaza, right? And did some some of that. And that was awesome to see sort of the amount of folks out there um, saying this isn't right and this isn't okay. And we, are, we have had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there's a history of this violence in our country, right? Uh, and it has existed since uh, this country's inception. Uh, but um, I, it's really amazing for me um, to see where we're at now um, and to see this uprising happening. Um, and I'm trying to be optimistic about what that means for our future. Um, I, I, I want to be, I need to be right for, yeah. for myself, for my sanity, uh, but also for my family, for the people who look like me, you know, other, other uh, uh, black and brown folks right out there. Um, that's, that's really what I need to see. So yeah, yeah I've been inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think it's in, in uh, many ways, that's kind of the silver lining for me of this mm-hmm. year is like sort of seeing the, um, the ways that people can come together in the midst of um, tragedy and, um, and many, many tragedies um, to be able to fight for something different and fight for and, and create a vision for something different has been inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So the next piece we wanted to talk about was identities we think about least often. And, um, I think that this might have a, a sort of shorter discussion about it probably uh, because we don't think about them as often. Um, but, um, I think for me, the things I think about least often are, uh, my ability kind of status and age. Um, so I'll say that I am uh, 33 and I don't have any known, uh, physical, emotional, or developmental disabilities. Um, and so uh, I just don't, you know, um, I don't think about them. I think that the my my age, I think I'm the, um, like, sort of the adult. Um, and so age doesn't come up for me as something. I think right. that intersects also with being white and male. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say that. And then ability also is... Um, something right like i think the world is uh we're we're socialized to believe that um disability creates um obstacles for people right right when the world that we have created is creating obstacles for people yes um and i think um my um ability has not uh come up against those obstacles in the world. And so I don't have to think about them um, unless I actively choose to. Um, and so that's something that I think I want to spend a little bit more time about time with. Um, but yeah, that, those were, those are kind of the two that I think about sort of least often that appear on this uh, activity. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating that you picked ability because uh, you'll recall that I said I picked four uh, aspects of sort of identity that I think about most often. And so, yeah. you know, uh, the first three race, ethnicity, gender, uh, I talked about. So that fourth one for me actually was ability, uh, mm-hmm. that I think about most often. Um, 
And so I, I sort of wanted to touch on that just because you said ability, right? Yeah. So um, for me, I think about it often, not for myself, uh, but because of other people, right? And, and in mm. terms of other people, um, and it really goes back to my childhood and sort of my life, right? Um, and so um, my mom is no longer with us, but she had some significant health problems uh, and conditions and was physically disabled, right? Um, and as uh, a kid, my dad was really healthy, but later in his life, he developed some f- and has developed um, and lives with some health conditions, right? And so yeah. ability and specifically physical ability or disability has always been something that I've been conscious of. Um, and uh, from very early on in my life up until now. Uh, and so it's something that I continually think about and, and is important to me. Um, and I think about it uh, in other aspects of my life as well, right? Um, and so that was that was just sort of a, a funny moment for me to sort of, uh, and funny is not the right word there, but yeah. um, for you to say that. Um, the, the answer that I gave for this uh, was first language, mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, English is my first and only language. And so I just, and, and I, there's definitely a lot of privilege in this, right. Given that we live in America and, uh, growing, especially growing up, English was the only language that I heard, right. Yeah. That I was surrounded by. Um, I did not have friends that spoke other languages. Um, it really wasn't until, uh, high school where I was even sort of, um, introduced to the, even the idea or the concept or the, the opportunity to, learn another language. Mm. Um, and so I took Spanish for a few years. Um, and I think about, I think, I just think that there's a lot of privilege in the fact that I don't have to think about, uh, language a lot. Um, for sure. Yeah. I think that was probably a secondary on my list. Like, uh, it didn't, it didn't make the top two. Um, but it was something else I was like, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really think about this much either, but yeah, that's definitely one for me too, that is somewhere on that list of things I don't think about that much. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Um, so this third question, um, I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to hear your response too, but, mm-hmm. uh, it was, the question is sort of what identities would you like to learn more about? Um, and for me, uh, that's sort of specifically ethnicity, right? So I identify as African-American, um, but, I, and, I, and I know I talked about race and ethnicity in sort of a combined way earlier, but um, I am not 100% sure where my family comes from, mm-hmm. um, right? I've never looked into my family's heritage. I think I've had some conversations with family when I was younger, but uh, um, I don't recall those conversations. Um, and so um, it's something I've always been really curious about. And I think as I've as we've done this activity um, and I've done some reflection on it, like it's come back to sort of being really important to me. And so I think part of my homework and what I want to do now is as I thought about this and I sat with it, um, I, I want to look into my family's history, right. And sort of see where we come from. Yeah. Um, that's going to be some work that I want to do. Mm. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, I don't have ethnicity written down. Um, but I think ethnicity would also be something, uh, interesting for me to dive into, um, uh, because I think, you know, uh, white supremacy does a number on all of us Mm. in different ways, Mm -hmm. um, and very different impacts. Um, but in the way that I think, um, black folks in America don't know where their family comes from, um, 
because that was stripped of them. Um, I think in a way, a lot of, not every white person, but a lot of white people in uh, the U.S. don't know their cultural history either. Yeah. Um, because, and they do the, like, this happens in a very different way, but you uh, acculturate, acculturate um, to acclimatize. I'm using, I'm using different words here. I don't, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, but. I'm taking and, notes. <laughs> and you give yourself, you give up some of those cultural backgrounds in order to buy into whiteness and the power of whiteness. And I, so um, I think that that's something that I didn't put down. Cause I think it's like superficially, I have some ideas, um, but in some other ways, like I have no idea um, where some of my family's from. Yeah. Um, but you know, because my maternal grandparents came over here in the sixties, like I that's easy to trace. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like, like moved here from England and yeah, I know that story. Right. Um, but on my, you know, my dad's side of the family, I don't, I don't know okay. um, much at all. Um, what I had written down is um, class. Okay. Um, and I think, I, I think about class a little bit, but I, it doesn't have the same kind of presence for me um, that race and ethnicity, ethnicity does and gender um, that I think about a lot. Right. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't quit. It didn't fit the bill of least often. Um, but it is something I, I want to learn more about in terms of like having a stronger kind of analysis um, of what um, my kind of experiences mean. Um, I think I had a sort of a, a mixed experience where I had like a lot of working class experiences, um, but had access to this sort of professional or managerial class, um, uh, as well. And so that, that, um, that's something that, yeah, I wrote down. And so I think, um, understanding a little bit more about what that all means, I think is, is, would be interesting to do. I also don't know that it's like, um, I don't know, it's not like a commonly talked about experience because it's not like a um it's not like I faced a whole lot of um obstacles in right. in okay. that experience um because of the access that I had to um sort of a, a higher class if you will. Yeah. So yeah. Um so yeah, and then these last two we have on the wheel that we're going to talk about are identities that have the strongest effect on how we perceive ourselves and identities that have the greatest effect on uh, how others perceive you. And I think we're going to talk about those sort of together. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, they're hard for me to separate out and be like, wow, yeah, this is this is how I perceive myself and this is how, like, right, they're, they're, they're so interconnected that it's hard to break that down. Absolutely. Um, I think in turn, in terms of being separate categories. Um, so I, I put, um, again, I think race and gender. Um, I think that, um, my sort of identity as a white cisgender male shapes a lot about how I see myself, right? Like I talked about, um, that I've sort of centered it as something that I think about myself and what it means to me. Um, and what it, what, those experiences in particular have meant to me and how I interpret the world and those things. Um, But I think it's also a huge part of how other people see me Mm. uh, because I think those are the two things that you can see about me first. Right. Right. Um, 
you know, I, you step into the room and you're like, well, that person presents as male and he looks white. So mm-hmm. white man. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so I think there's a lot bound up in what that means historically, um, culturally, um, right? Like wealthy white men founded this country mm-hmm. in ways to take advantage of um, people around them um, and um, sort of steal land from the native people here and yep. uh, enslave uh, African people um, and exploit their labor to turn turn that labor into wealth for themselves. Right. Um, and so that context, like, you know, it doesn't disappear overnight. Um, and we're going to talk about this. This is probably going to be a running theme um, throughout our podcast yeah. um, here and there. But, you know, we've never really reconciled that either and talked about what that means for us and um, sort of the rotten foundation that we have mm-hmm. um, for based on that uh, in this uh, country. And I think um, one of the other things that I, I think um, affects how other people see me that I think is a little bit more subconscious is my status as a U.S. citizen. I don't ah. think it's it's not necessarily something that people know right. or would know. You can't tell by how I look. Um, but I think you you listen to me talk, you um, see me interact with people like, yeah, it's probably a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> Um, I think that that's another piece that um, influences it. That influences what that white male identity means um, to people in a lot of ways because um, of the context of the U.S. specifically. And so I think that's um, another piece here that that affects how other people see me. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, it's 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 so interesting because as I was thinking about this. I was like, how do we, you know, these last two questions, you know, so what is uh, some identities that have had the strongest effect on how you perceive yourself and what identities have had the greatest effect on how others perceive you? It was definitely challenging for me to answer because I'm like, how do we separate that? Like, why are those separated? Should they be separated? I think um, my response to one question could easily be my response to the other sort of and vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. So and I think. A lot of it also depends on maybe where I'm at that day, right? Or uh, what experiences I may have had. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about my race. Uh, and so I would definitely say being black is my answer here without question. But uh, when I, I, I sort of forced myself to think maybe a little bit deeper about this when I was thinking about this. Um, and so I sort of want to talk about sex and gender here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um because, and I, and I think you'll agree with me when I say this, right? But I think there's a lot uh, to say uh, here in terms of being a cisgender male, mm-hmm. uh, right? I think we benefit from a lot of privilege mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that comes with identifying and being cisgender male. Uh, and, and we could name dozens of examples of sort of that privilege. But um, I think about what we see day in and day out in this country, right? Like there is so much misogyny out there. There's so much ignorance and even truly hatred um, of non-binary folks, of Mm -hmm. trans folks. Um, And so it really, for me, highlights the privilege uh, that we have, that I have, um, and why we're sort of doing this work, why we're engaged in this work. Um, But I also thought about sort of what it means to be a man, um, right? And so I wanted to bring that up because 
I think a lot about sort of the concept of maleness and masculinity uh, because I've thought a lot about what it means to be to sort of be quote unquote uh, a, a man uh, yeah. in our society and sort of where I fit into that. Um, and so I'm going to share here, like I, you know, and Aaron knows this. <laughs> I I'm the type of man I wear my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I have feelings. I express my feelings. I tell the people that I love. I love them like my family, my friends, my best friends, you know, the people that are, that are family, uh, that are friends that are like family. Right. Um, I am a crier. I cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, um, I don't, I'm sure many of you have watched the office. I'm a late comer <laughs> to the office. You can hear Aaron chuckling cause he knows where I'm going with this. Um, I just watched all of the office on Netflix. Um, and the episode where Michael Scott leaves, uh, you know, I guess this is a spoiler alert, but really it shouldn't be for anybody. Uh, yeah, unless if you're <laughs> upset that this is your spoiler alert for The Office, um, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, you were late to it like me. Like me. But um, that episode when Michael Scott leaves, I was bawling, mm-hmm. um, literally bawling. Um, and so um, all that to say that that's who I am as a man. Right. And I, and I sort of, I think as a younger man, I sort of had some, some questions about that and, and, you know, maybe some insecurities about that, but I think, uh, I'm really proud of the man that I am. Right. And I think that's part of what makes me me. Right. And so, and I, and I think that there's some ways in which that's how I perceive myself and ways in which maybe others can perceive me. Right. Because like I said, I wear it on my sleeve. Um, so So that's a bit about who we are. Uh, And I think one of the most significant reasons we wanted to do this uh, in our first episode is that while we are very different in terms of some of the ways that we identify, uh, and we'll talk about that in future episodes, it's going to be kind of a thread throughout all of the podcasts, um, our friendship and some of the work we've done uh, has been bolstered by the countless conversations that we've had uh, and by learning and unlearning work that we've engaged in um, sort of together and separately uh, and by the independent and collective reflection that we've done uh, through those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. We mm-hmm. want interdependent study to be a space for folks to do this work with us. Uh, we know that people are engaged in this work, especially during this past year. And we just talked about this a bit, right? Um, given all that's happened and what I like to call the shit show that was, well, I guess we're still in it, 2020. Um, you know, I think this year and, and even the years leading up to it, but especially 2020, really open people's eyes to the many injustices that happen every single day in this country. Um, And so we saw a lot of folks engaging more closely and deeply with the work of social justice, right? Protesting, donating, voting, um, engaging in dialogues both at home with their families and at work. Um, We saw it all and and we also did that work. Uh, And so that really led us to dream about and eventually create this podcast. Yeah. And I just want to add, I think all of that spot on. And um, we don't necessarily view ourselves as experts in this work. We are um, sort of active learners and participants, um, I think, along with everybody. Uh, And I think um, we've done some work, but that doesn't mean that we're done working. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, there's always more to do. There's always more to learn. And this uh, part of part of creating this podcast has been to sort of um, make sure that we're continuing the work in kind of a, a different way um, that invites other people in uh, to our process um, to maybe, you know, 
be engaged in, and do work in whatever their process might look like. So one thing that Aaron and I want to do in this podcast every week is apply the learning that we've done during the show to the real world and connect it to the work of social justice and collective liberation. And we want to invite you to do that too. So while this episode was all about us and a space for us to introduce ourselves to you, in future episodes, one of us is going to bring something to the table. Do you want to talk about what we mean by that, Aaron? Yeah, absolutely. So bringing something to the table means that each week one of us is going to introduce a piece of media for discussion. And when I say media, that can be an article, a documentary, chapters from a book, or even an entire book, news report, current events, a Twitter thread, uh, anything that's piqued our interest as relates to social justice. Um, So each week we will introduce what the following week's media is so that you have time to engage with it, read over it, what have you, um, and then we're going to discuss it on the show. So before we get to the end of our show here, we want to introduce you to one of the final segments of our show each week, and that's homework. Yeah, we want to end each episode with a sort of call to action. And this call to action is definitely for us, but we also invite you to join us in that work as well. Um, So what we'll do is share our thoughts on additional reflection work that we want to do based on the topic of the show. So this week, we spent time sharing who we are with you. And so our homework for, uh, for this week is to continue this conversation. We know that sharing aspects of your identity with someone is personal. And so we definitely want to honor that by taking more time to talk about what each of us have shared here. Um, and I think we also want to talk even more about how our identities and values motivate and drive us in our work for justice and collective liberation. And so that's the homework for this week. Uh, And we hope you'll join us in this work by reflecting on your own identities and values and what's important to you uh, and share that with a good friend or family member. And hopefully that segues into talking about why this work, the learning and unlearning work of social justice and collective liberation is important to you. We hope you'll join us next week. Aaron's bringing an article to the table, right, Aaron? Yeah. So next week, we're going to be talking about the concept of healing movements. At the center of our conversation is a piece from back in October by Kazu Haga uh, called We Need to Build a Movement That Heals Our Nation's Traumas. And that was featured on the Waging Nonviolence website. Um, It was published just before the presidential election here in the U.S. Um, So it was definitely super relevant at the time, uh, but it remains relevant as we think about and talk about social justice. Uh, The article highlights how panic and trauma affects us and our country and provides actions we can take towards um, to move towards healing. Um, So we hope you'll check out the article with us and tune in and engage with our conversation. Uh, So thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Interdependent Study. We hope you'll join us next week and you can listen to Interdependent Study wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And you know what we're going to ask you to do here. Please like, subscribe, follow, leave a review, and share our podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk with you soon.